Thanks, buddy. No, that's good. That's good. Daniel's griping a little bit because he knows I'm going to say the same thing that I said in the first service, which is you just witnessed a Tennessee fan and a Georgia fan working together for the sake of the gospel. Uh, one, one night after a tough game. And then I forget that I'm in North Carolina and half of you don't even care about SEC football. And, but what just happened there is good stuff. I promise you it's good stuff. So uh, we're continuing to learn this year about the church, uh, what the church really is. And then in this series for the past two weeks and then today, we're going to talk about what the church should be about, what the church should be doing. And we've been looking at New Testament passages uh, that show that Christians, all Christians, aren't just called to have a, a private experience of God's presence and his love uh, or just to be concerned with like moral improvement in their lives, even though those are good and important things. Uh, all Christians are called and privileged to be concerned about the well-being of, of others, about their spiritual well-being. In a phrase, we call this making disciples, in a word, we call this love. Now, I'm going to take a big risk this week and try to capture uh, pictorially what we've been talk, uh, talking about so far. And I say this is a big risk because artistic ability is one of those things that God gave more of to others than he gave to me. Uh, so I'll try to keep it really, really simple. And if you can't see from wherever you are, um, that's kind of your own fault because there's plenty more seats up here and you're welcome to move if you want to. Um, I say that totally in jest because I love the back row personally. Um, I was probably, I think I was forced to sit on the front row my entire childhood, so the back row seems great. But if you do want to move because you can't see, uh, you're welcome to do that. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about the fact that God has an agenda for the world, that history is not just random or pointless, it's not a story going nowhere, it's a story going somewhere. And it's a story headed to Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God, enthroned and worshipped by people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I should probably put some people here too. Restored in relationship with the God who created them, came to the earth to give his life for them. It's where history is, is going. And that what God is up to now in the world is taking people, broken, sinful people, like you and me, and he, he wants to transfer them out of um, what the book of Colossians calls the domain of darkness. Domain of darkness. Doesn't sound good. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, giving his life for sin, that as people come to know him, to trust and follow him, they are transferred out of this domain of darkness into, again, to use the language of the book of Colossians, the kingdom of the beloved son. So when someone places their faith and trust in Jesus, they're moved into a right relationship with God and they're loved just as the Father has loved the Son from all eternity. They're brought into that life and love of God. This is what God's up to in the world 
transferring people out of this domain into the kingdom of his son, and then working on them as they're in this kingdom, still uh, changing them, transforming them, you might say, transferring and then transforming to a place of greater Christian love, or you might use the word maturity, where all their life is slowly wrapped around God and his purposes. It's what God's up to in the world. Um, And so, let's see, the last couple of weeks, um, we looked at Matthew chapter 28, and we said that making disciples, here's a definition I tried to put around it to start us with, is intentionally living your life to help those around you take one next step towards Jesus. Maybe they're not a Christian, you're there to help them take one next step towards him. Maybe they are a Christian. You're there to help them take one next step towards him and trusting and and following. Now, before I go any further on this, I I touched on this the first week, but I think it would be good to to bring back up just as I'm drawing this diagram. And I'm kind of putting people in two camps. Like I am saying that there's, you know, a a binary view of, of the world. And some of you, I mean, especially if you're not a Christian or if you're struggling with Christianity, still sorting through what you believe, um, this may bring up a concern for you. You know that um, Christians tend to say they have the truth and the whole view. You know, we have like the right view of reality. And then it sounds like those who are not Christians were like in darkness or lost or whatever. And that type of binary view of the world could lead you to seem really superior or just rude towards those that don't share your, your beliefs. And you know, that's a very valid concern. I think that's, that's legit. You'd be right to point out that many religious people and many Christians have begun to think that because they have the truth and the right take on reality, uh, can begin to feel superior or proud or look down on others who don't share their beliefs. It's a real danger, and it, and it really happens. But just before we go further, I would want to say that Christians have absolutely no grounds for that type of attitude. In fact, any Christian that starts, uh, stops to think long enough about what they believe will remember that at the heart of our faith is a man who died for his enemies. The very heart of our faith is grace. Um, this is the doctrine of salvation by grace. The book of Titus actually explicitly says that Christians should not disdain or look down at people of different beliefs. It says they must show perfect courtesy to all people. And then it says because or for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So, do Christians believe that we have the truth? Yes, we do. But does that truth give us any reason to have a lack of charity or look down upon or even just to be cold towards someone of a different belief system? No, it does not. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you've, you've experienced disdain or, or a lack of charity from a Christian person, you just need to know that we were out of line 
with the very heart of our faith. So, back to this, back to this. Even though, yeah, there is a, a binary, like you're either in the kingdom of the beloved son or you're in the domain of darkness, there's also somewhat of a, you might think of a, a, a gradient or a series of steps within both of these. So maybe, for example, someone really has no contact with a Christian. They know nothing about Christianity. We send missionaries to places like this where they just really don't have a clue about what has God done in the history of the world in the person of Jesus. Or maybe it's someone who's just very, very far and disinterested from talking about Christian things. You would say that this person, what they need most, their next step or their first step along this way would just be, and if I, I told you this was dangerous, trying to write and talk at the same time. School teachers, great job. Um, they just need to be engaged in friendship or relationship, first step, with a Christian person. They get to know someone who's Christian, that they have contact, a friendship, a relationship with a Christian person. And then after that, their next step would be to place their faith uh, in the God who gave himself for them, to hear and understand what God's done for them. Uh, oh man, I'm going to write the same word twice. All right, evangelized, just to go ahead and give you the next E, because these are all going to start with E's, because we are Baptists, actually. Um, is to be evangelized, to hear the good news of Jesus, to understand what God's done for them in Christ, and to place their hope and their faith in that. And then even on the other side of once you've done that and you become a Christian, there's still many, many steps along the way. You begin as a, a new Christian, someone who really doesn't know a whole lot. Maybe you've never really been coached in your faith or have someone come alongside to help you be more grounded in what you believe and how you live. And you would need to be established in your faith. So engage, evangelism, establish, and then at some point along your journey with Christ, as a Christian, you come to see that all the, the things that you're learning, the love of God that you experience, it's not really just about you. It's not really just about you enjoying that. There's a moment where the light bulb comes on and you realize the things God has given me are not just for me, they are, they are for the good of others who are somewhere along this journey too. And you make a step towards, as you move forward in your Christian life, you're learning to look back along the way towards others. And you live your life to help them take their next step along the way. And Christians like this need to be equipped. Need to be equipped or trained to how to do that. How do I go back? How do I talk about Jesus with someone who doesn't know him? How do I help a new Christian get started in, in their growth? To teach someone to pray and read the Bible. Right, these are kind of the stages that, that we move along. Now, I definitely could say um, life as a Christian is never a straight line. <laughs> you know, I probably could or should just draw this as a series of squiggly loops because living as a Christian is that way. One step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, seven steps forward, two steps back, up and down. Sometimes those seasons are long, sometimes they're quick. But just for the sake of simplicity, and as we begin to think about church ministry, I'm going to have the line be straight. But just know that it's not always that way at, at all. So, how are we doing? 
You guys okay? You with me? Stop for Q&A. Okay, you can ask me later if, if you have questions about this. So what I'd like to do today then is just to talk about how, how do you help people take their next steps along the way towards faith in Christ, towards faith and maturity in Christ. In other words, how are disciples made? What are the key things you, that we can do with God's help to move people forward towards the cross, towards maturity in faith? Okay, so this Christmas, uh, the Cobb family, so like me and my siblings, my parents, will have what has become an annual tradition over the last two years, kind of a new annual tradition. But this is the Cobb Holiday Bake Off. And it all began as a quest to find the perfect chocolate chip cookie recipe. So yes, it's essentially just a chocolate chip cookie bake off, exclusively because we're that crazy about chocolate chip cookies. And the trophy, my sister actually ordered a trophy, I think we have a picture of this, yeah, of, uh, I say it's a trophy, it's actually a chalice um, that the winner will be able to dunk their cookies in and drink out of. And I'm proud to say that the winner last year was yours truly. So just in case, no, it's all right, it's not that big of a deal. It's really, it's okay, thank, thank you, thank you. Just in case my siblings listen to this, I thought I should, should mention it. Um, but if the chalice didn't give it away, this thing is kind of a big deal for us. Like we used a spreadsheet to tabulate everyone's, we had a voting system, you know, tabulate the score and very strict on the ingredients of what go into these chocolate chip cookies. And you, you have to use, you know, the things. You can't paint outside the box very much. Like um, we're actually deciding this year if we should allow some supplementary ingredients to enhance the cookies like cinnamon or pecans or pecans if you're a member of the aristocracy. Um, but you've got to have the key ingredients, right, to make a chocolate chip cookie. And I'll just go ahead and write the winning recipe up here that I was able to win uh, the competition with. Actually, I'm not going to do that, but I know some of you have never taken notes in church before, and you were just about to start taking notes, and I just wanted to mess with you. But, um, yeah, you've got you've to have the key ingredients, right? I mean, uh, brown sugar, white sugar, butter, flour, eggs, vanilla, uh, all that stuff. Uh, and when it comes to baking disciples, I mean making disciples, although that kind of works too, when it comes to making disciples, there are some key ingredients or non-negotiable means that God uses to move people forward. So today, all I want to do is try to get these ingredients out on the table, and then we'll take a look at the Bible, maybe, like you may think of it as our cookbook, to show you where I got these ingredients from. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's this, what this has to do with using them in the kitchen to make some practical applications. And some folks helped me work through these ingredients to, to, to come up with a memorable acronym for what they are. So the acronym is P-L-A-N. You put that together and it spells the word plan. And this is to help you remember, like when you're getting started and thinking about, okay, I'm, so me, like I'm a disciple maker, I'm not sure where to start. I don't know what to do. You can remember, there's a plan. Okay, here's what it stands for. The P, I'll just give these to you quickly, and then we'll go through the scriptures and explain them more as we go. P, present, or proclaim, you might say, the word of Christ. Present or proclaim the word of Christ. A gospel message about what God has done for us in Jesus through his death burial, resurrection. And then L would be to lean on God 
or his, lean on his spirit to lean on God's strength through prayer. Through prayer. And then A would be to assist one another. Or you might say slash all God's people. To assist one another in the work of making disciples in Christian ministry. Slash all God's people. And then the last, I don't have much room here, would be to never give up. Slash always taking the one next step. So here's how these play out. Let's go to the cookbook. Um, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 44. And I will say, I know we normally have the scriptures on the screen, but your life probably will be a little easier today, and this will be more fun and interactive if you use your phone or Bible or uh, whatever you may have to be able to look at these scriptures because we're going to bounce around in them a good bit. So that just may be helpful for you and make this a little bit more interactive. So if you can go there, Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 44. So this is Jesus. After he's risen from the dead, he says this to his disciples. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. These are Jesus' first marching orders to his disciples as he's getting ready to, to, to leave, to leave them with this mission. So just getting started, do you see any elements of the plan there? Any of those four things that I just brought up? What about the P? There's something to be proclaimed or presented to all nations. What is that? He says, well, it's the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Jesus tells him that the message of the Bible is ultimately the message of the gospel. How Christ would suffer and rise from the dead to offer forgiveness of sins to all nations. That's what Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, that's what he's saying. That's what all that is about. Moses, those first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Deuteronomy, were known as the books of Moses and the Psalms and then the rest of the prophets. All these had a message they were leading to and that's what the Christ would do. So something to be proclaimed. Next ingredient, L. Leaning on God's Spirit in prayer. You see this somewhat at the end of the instructions that Jesus gives them, that they won't just be able to go out and start sharing this message and people will just automatically believe. They have to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power, which you see them doing in the book of Acts. They're, they stay together, they pray until God comes to move and work in a way that changes people's hearts. And then what about A? assisting one another or all God's people being involved in this. It's interesting what Jesus says. He says, you are witnesses of these things. Y'all are going to tell everybody uh, about it. I've often wondered when you get to the end of the Gospels, in my mind, it, it makes way more sense for Jesus to just go tell everybody, like, why not him be the witness? Hey, y'all, I'm alive. I was not. Now I am. You know, like, that's pretty simple. He's there. He could just do the job himself. But apparently that's not what he wants to do. He says, you all 
will be witnesses of this. For some reason, he wants to leave the job to the church. All God's people. And what about the end, the last one? Never give up. In this passage, it's not as obvious as in like Matthew's Great Commission that we looked at last week when he says, hey, I'm with you always till the end of the age. But notice there's some other things here that would encourage the disciples to just keep going. Right? Jesus says, it is written, not only that I must suffer and die, but it's also written that this message must be proclaimed to all the nations. It's certain, it's foretold that you would do this. The part about you going and telling all the nations is just as certain, just as, as it is written as Christ's death and resurrection. So carry on. Don't be discouraged. But let's go to Luke's sequel, the book of Acts. So if you flip over a couple of books in the New Testament into the book of Acts, you can see how these ingredients play out in real time for the disciples. I'd like to go to Acts chapter 2 to look at the passage about Pentecost, but that one's super long. So for sake of time, we're going to go to Acts chapter 14. But if you were to go back to Acts 2 later, I think you'd find some of those same ingredients there. Acts chapter 14. Luke sums up several years of Paul's ministry like this. He says, when they had, now if you're looking for these, this will make it more interactive, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What about the plan? Do you see it here anywhere? How do they go about, how does Paul go about making disciples? The first ingredient is that he preached the gospel. They present the message of Christ. Which, there must have been something so compelling about this, right? For the Greco-Roman world to say, yeah, we believe in a crucified, risen man as God. But they preach the gospel. And then L, they, they lean on God in prayer and fasting. That's how they establish this new church. They know that God's going to have to be the one who establishes them, so they lean on him to do his work. And what about A? Well, you see Paul and Barnabas, they involve all God's people. Paul and his buddy don't just be in charge of this church forever. They appoint new leaders, they commission them, and then they leave. They appoint them to lead. They appoint elders in every church that they had been through. And then what about the last one? Perseverance, never giving up. Well, this one's pretty strong in this passage. They say that Christian growth will necessarily, or he says must, involve many tribulations. That's part of how you grow as a Christian, through the straining, the groaning. And if you were to comb through the rest of the book of Acts, I wager you're going to find these same ingredients whenever churches are started and disciples are made. Now, what about the rest of the New Testament? The letters of the New Testament. You know that Paul and Peter and John wrote to these early churches. Do, they, do these have the same plan in them? Obviously, and you're probably thankful, we don't have time to go through all of them, but let's just take a brief look at a couple of passages from the book of Colossians. It's the last, one of the last books, I think the last book that we studied together as a church. And look at some of these opening passages about when the church got started in Colossians. So chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before. Where? How? 
in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so this is a church that Paul's never even been to. And when he writes to them about how they got started and how to keep going, how did it start? With the word of truth about the grace of God being proclaimed to them. And then L, you see Paul and company consistently, he says, constantly praying for them. This is how they're going to grow is through their prayers. And then A, the Colossians didn't even hear the gospel from Paul and company. All God's people are involved. There's this random dude named Epaphras. He's the one that bore the message of Christ to them. And then in, never give up. The Christian life is described as bearing fruit, walking, increasing one step at a time, which means patience over time. Christian fruit growth is not overnight. It is not immediate. It's not like weeds that spring up. It's good plants that take time. All right, how about Colossians chapter 3? You go over one more, or two chapters. Verse 16, he's talking about how church meetings should go. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, are you starting to catch on to the ingredients yet? What are Christians supposed to do? Well, it begins by the word of Christ dwelling in us. That's what we also speak one to another. It's interesting to note that the gospel message, this is how Christians grow too. It's not like there's one word that God has for this group of people and a different message that he has for another group of people. The way we grow, even as Christians, is to look deeper into what Jesus has done for us on the cross. As we feel more heavily the weight of our sin, we see more deeply the grace of God towards us in our sin. As one person said it, the, the Christian gospel is like a well. You dig it in the same place a little deeper every time with the same water. So that's P, proclaiming or declaring the word of Christ. Then what about L, leaning on God in prayer? Well, all this in the church is done with thankfulness to God as worship. And all God's people are involved, A, in teaching and admonishing one another. It's not just the pros or the pastors who do it. And then in whatever you do, keep on doing that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or, okay, last one, I promise. And if you're getting a little like, hey, we got the idea, buddy. That's good, because I want you to get it by the time that you leave. So chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 2, last one. See if you can catch all these before I point them out. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ 
on account of which I'm in prison, that I would make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So as he's praying for his ministry to go forward to other places, how will these new disciples be made? P, they will hear the word or mystery of Christ. He says declared, but that doesn't fit with my acronym. So Paul, uh, you're going to have to use proclaimed. The word or mystery of Christ, Christ will be declared or proclaimed. And then L, how is this going to happen? Well, it's only as this church begins to lean on God in prayer that there will, there will be an open door for the word. It will not be effective to just speak on our own strength. It'll bounce off people's foreheads and come right back. And this seems to be a good moment to make a shameless plug for our, our prayer gatherings as a church. I mean, tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to be praying for outreach efforts in our own community. We're going to be praying for those that you're going to interact with over the holidays, family and friends, many of you uh, for whom you have longed to come to, to know Jesus for a long time. And our prayers are a good litmus test for what really matters to us. It's the acid test of what you want as a person. So the question for us is, do we really long to see people come to know and trust Jesus? Like, do we even want that? Are we even willing to take time to pray for that? If so, if you can make it tonight, let's gather at six and pray for this. There's another prayer gathering you heard about in the announcements next Friday or this coming Friday. Four-hour block that you can stop in and pray with others about seeing people come to faith. That won't happen without it. Okay, what about A in this one? All God's people. You see, Paul, even as he's traveling as a missionary, he begs for their partnership through prayer. And then in, lastly, never give up. Continue steadfastly, he says. Be watchful. Don't hit the snooze button or give up on praying for this kind of thing. So this, this is a sampling from the New Testament uh, of where you can find these ingredients. And if you want to test these out, then I would say just you could read the other short New Testament letter we studied this year, which was the book of Titus. Go back and see if these four ingredients or means of making disciples don't show up there as well. So that was our look into the cookbook, about five places we went to. Now let's talk for just a minute about what does this have to do with real-time disciple-making or in the kitchen. All that I've said today uh, to many of you may not be terribly new. You're like, yeah, uh, okay, nothing too revolutionary there, bud. And that's probably a good thing overall. So why am I spelling all this out? Why are we even doing this series? Well, for starters, I'm trying to get us all on the same page and arrive at a common understanding in language for how disciples are made. And by doing that, I'm trying to help you see that making disciples is something that everyone can get on board with. That doesn't mean that everything is disciple-making, and we'll talk more about the nuance of that next week. But for now, I'm just trying to say that disciple-making doesn't have to be some big, scary thing that I'm calling you to do. You know, if I'm like, all right, by the end of 2023... We're going to become a church of disciple makers, and you're going to be a disciple maker. You're like, whoa, okay, yikes. But if by showing you that making disciples is intentionally living your life to use these key ingredients or means of helping the people God's placed in your life to take one next step towards Christ, you can say, okay, I think I can start. I think I can start.
So by using the plan, the idea is that we can all help others take one next step towards Christ. And if you still, like, just seriously don't even know where to start, like, how am I supposed to make disciples? What does that even mean? How do I start? I would say you could probably always start with the L in the plan. Begin just by leaning on God in prayer. If you think about that person in your life, a person in your small group who's struggling as a Christian, your family member, friend, coworker, who does not know Jesus, what if you just begin to pray for them every day, month after month, year after year? I mean, we have heard some incredible stories in this church of people who have come to bow the knee to Jesus that we prayed for for a long, long time. These are prayers that God loves to get on board with. God loves to answer these kinds of prayers. And then what if, as you prayed, you just began to look for some way, maybe it's big, maybe it's small, I don't know, that you could share something of the love of God in Jesus, how he's had mercy on you with the people that are involved in your life. What's, what's one way, big or small, that I can say something of the love of God in Jesus? And as you pray about that, you could think, okay, I'm going to need some help with this. I, I'm not sure what to do. That's part of why God's given us the church, so that you can ask one another, help, help me think through this. Pray for me. Pray for my courage. I am such a chicken when it comes to talking with people about Jesus. Pray for me. Let's talk about it. And then to keep going, to never, never give up. So the point of this series, I think, um, is that if we all understand making disciples to be living intentionally, to move people around us however we can, ways big and small, to take one step closer to Jesus. And we all understand kind of how this happens. There's a plan. This helps us to be on the same page, which is a great start. But even if we have shared language or common parlance, you might say, the more important thing is that we have common passion, that we have a shared desire to see the people of Wake Forest and RDU and beyond move from the kingdom, the domain of darkness, to the kingdom of the beloved son. And maybe if some of you are like brutally honest today, you're just like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not there. Like, I just don't know that I really care about, like, thank you for spelling out all those amazing ingredients for me to think about, but I just don't know that I care like I should, and I know that I should. I know I should care more about the state of those apart from Christ or struggling Christians in my own life but I'm just, I'm just not. What do you do? Where do you start? I would suggest you start by working this plan in your own soul right now. That you start by proclaiming the good word of Christ to yourself. That even in your lack of zeal, your lack of fervor, your lack of faithfulness, doesn't Jesus see that? Doesn't he know about it? And yet it's for that version of you that he went to the cross for. The imperfect disciples. This is who he gave himself for. He sees it and he loves you all the more deeply. And he loves you enough to try to shake you out of that. Out of that lethargy. Proclaim the good word of Christ to yourself again today. And then L, begin to lean on God in prayer about this. Even if you just begin to pray, God, you know my heart and you know I don't care. 
about the state of others as I should. Would you, would you just begin to turn my heart outwards? Would you begin to stir up in me a passion to care about those you've placed around me? This too is a prayer that God loves to answer and he will. Or A, assisting one another. Maybe it's time to ask, what's your experience of Christian community like right now? I mean, many of us are still figuring out new rhythms of engagement post-pandemic. And it's easy to walk in isolation from one another, not really being known by anyone. Or maybe you've done small group in the past, and you're like, yeah, just, I don't know, it didn't really work for me. So then I'd want to ask, well, which Christian brothers and sisters know you well enough where they can speak the gracious word of Christ into your life and even in your sin? Where they can take that one next awkward step towards you, like in Matt and Dina's story, which is so beautiful of the church taking one next super awkward step into their life. Where's that going to happen for you? Or maybe you're in a small group and there's just not much vulnerability there. Not much authenticity. Like you do the thing, you talk about the sermon or whatever, you share your ideas, you read the passage, you share a couple things about your life, but no one there really knows you. How do you take a step towards vulnerability? Maybe it's just you and two other people in that group that begin to shift the culture of that group towards authenticity and vulnerability. Or then maybe today you just need to hear the last of these. Never give up is what's most needful for you today. When you find that my life and care for those who are far from Christ is, is cold. Maybe you're, maybe you're just tired even after you got an extra hour of sleep last night, you're just tired, you know. But you know it's way more than that for you. Like you're tired spiritually and emotionally, you are drained. And maybe you're drained from ministry stuff and you are just about ready to throw in the towel. Just live for me. I've been greatly helped in recent days by um, John Newton's hymn, originally titled Prayers Answered by Crosses. John Newton, he's the guy who wrote um, Amazing Grace, yeah? He's written a lot of other hymns, and this is, this is one of them that's been so helpful to me. I'll read you part of it. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hope that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power would subdue my sins and give me rest. But instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my cords and laid me low, which is a reference to the uh, gourd of shade or comfort that Jonah had that the Lord took away from him. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. This is part of God's plan for us too. 
part of his design that we grow through struggle. That our schemes of earthly joy would be broken and we find our all in him and living for what he is up to in the world. So don't give up. Let's pray. So Lord, as we've opened your word today, would you let it do what what it needs to do in us, that it would stir up a passion for you and what you're up to in the world and that your great passion for, for us, that you would even give your life on the cross would stir us all the more to gladly give ourselves to you so that by whatever means we can, through saying something of what you've done for us, by leaning into you in prayer, by gathering with other believers and asking for their help and just keep it on going, that you would move through this church in the place where you've put us in your time. And we pray all this through the precious name of Jesus. Amen.